if there were ever a week in which it were tailor-made for the East Region guy who talks to committee chairs on an annual basis to sub on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, this is the one. Yeah, well, I feel like Lloyd Bridges, an airplane, where I... It's like I picked the wrong week to quit smoking. And, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, Keith has a PhD in D3 football, and we ought to wait for the entire length of class for him to show up, but... Uh, you know, we're we're getting close to the end of the hour, and I feel like uh, if we're gonna have a if we're gonna have a class here in uh, Division Three football for uh, Podcast Two Seventeen, that we better get started. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. If you just downloaded and listened to a podcast, you know, say on Thursday, we're back at you with another here on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. If you heard a different voice in the cold open, that's because we got a guest host. We're going to be uh, joined by Frank Rossi here today. I think we must have just reached the limit of the number of hours that Keith could podcast in a 24-hour period or the number of podcasts in a month or something like that. And we've got, uh, thankfully, we've got Frank up here late night to plug in. Thank you for joining me here. No problem. I, I think Keith is uh, subscribing to the idea that you really don't appreciate him until he's not there. And so I, I, I think that's what he's after here. He knows that this is kind of that podcast where he can be missing before we really ramp things up for the postseason and the preview to the postseason and all that. I think that's what he's doing. Either that or he was doing the uh, he was doing his part of the spot check and going through all 25 games that I picked last week and fell asleep at some point in Ohio. Yeah, well, good luck to having me do that for you in this. Uh, so uh, I'll just go with whatever you tell me. Uh, the nice part is that uh, Frank has inherited a podcast rundown that is about 75% complete. And we will uh, see how good uh, Frank is at uh, filling things in on the fly. We'll see how good Frank is at pick six, because I'm going to throw six games at Frank for him to try to return him to the end zone. Uh, we will have uh, on the spot now with Frank. We'll have uh, Frank with six one-liners uh, for six games he has yet to see. And we'll still do, of course, the uh, the six big games, the games to watch, uh, the games that are big key games here coming up in week nine. But, of course, this podcast, Frank and, and fans, comes on the heels of a podcast that we did with uh, Jim Catanzaro, the head coach at Lake Forest College, and also the chair of the Division Three Football National Committee, and uh, I was planning to have this uh, reaction conversation with uh, Keith because uh, Keith was on that podcast, but you've listened to it as well. You have talked with Division Three football chairs on a regular basis. What was your take on what you heard? I, I liked the openness. I liked uh, the overall view of the strength of schedule uh, approach and mentality that it sounds like this committee is going to have with him as the leader of it. Uh, we, we've had trouble in past years, Keith. Uh, Keith, you're Pat. Actually, I am. I'm Keith. <laughs> you're Keith. That's right. No, no, nonetheless, uh, we've. I, I don't think people understand necessarily what's happened in the past with uh, certain committee chairs that uh, may have been actually on the board uh, with their schools. Uh, they they couldn't actually participate in large portions of the call. And so their leadership may have gone by the wayside uh, during the period where they were up for discussion, whether it be as a choice or for their seating. Uh, with uh, Jim Catanzaro, it, it's, it's different. He's going to be there, it sounds like. Uh, it does not look like Lake Forest is going to be uh, you know, relevant to that discussion uh, much. And so he's going to be laying it out there with the folks that are on the committee to have them speak out up front here to say, hey, look, don't be surprised that strength of schedule is going to be a very important part of uh, things for us. 
I, I think that's great to know it up front because we, we do a lot of guessing when we see the regional rankings. Why did this look like this exactly? And to hear him also say that they're trying to standardize it across regions right up front. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, if they're seeing things in the mock rankings right now that don't make sense, they're saying to the uh, regional advisory committees, why did you do it this way? And perhaps you need to fix it. I think those are some very important things. Uh, maybe the, the folks that appreciate the minutia like us uh, really appreciate here. And uh, those that don't understand it all, that's okay. Just kind of follow where we go with it over the next few weeks because we'll kind of guide you when those rankings are put out there to tell you what it all means based especially on this interview. Yeah, Coach Kettenzero uh, emphasized that he's the first former coach to be the chair. I'm sorry, not former coach, of course, the first active coach to be the chair of the committee in the 20 years that this system has been uh, in place. And I, I kind of mentally went back through all the previous committee chairs in my head. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't dispute that. And you have talked, you mentioned, uh, of course, just a couple of minutes ago about sometimes, you know, we just don't get a lot of openness from people. Um, not only was Coach Catanzaro, very open in this interview on uh, on our Thursday podcast. And if you haven't listened to it, you know, scroll backwards in your feed or scroll forwards or up or down or, you know, whatever it takes in your particular pod player of choice to find it because it's an important interview to listen to. Um, but the, my point being is he promised openness going forward, and I have no reason to expect anything different based on my dealings with him over the course of the last couple of years. And I agree with you there. Uh, we've uh, gone to Salem and uh, encountered him, obviously, uh, you know, in the last couple of years. I I think another thing that he was very open about in the conversation was about flights, that it's not just a first round flight thing that they're looking at. Now they're looking at the totality of flights in the first few rounds, especially. Uh, Stag Bowl is uh, put aside in that respect, which is good to know. We I don't think you were, I actually knew that for sure, that the Stag Bowl Flights don't count against what the uh, committee's number of flights allowed is. Yeah. But there is an overall threshold that they have to be careful not to exceed with certain matchup possibilities down the line. And that's going to restrain them and restrict what they can do geographically when it comes to the actual bracketing on, uh, what is it, November 10th into the 11th, uh, that Saturday and Sunday. So to know that, too, ahead of time will explain to us when we see the brackets what happened then of course we'll ask him about it more specifically on the 11th but don't be surprised if certain matchups don't that you don't want to see happen but it's he's explaining up front it's not because we want to do it it's because the NCAA is watching the flight numbers that we're putting out there and telling us you can only use so many so we got to be careful where, where we put them eventually I did throw something out at him uh, off of the call, uh, aside from the interview. One of the things that uh, is kind of not necessarily known or talked about a lot is, of course, the football championship is the most expensive one because it has you know, the uh, not quite the largest number of student athletes, but it has you know the combination of number of student athletes, rounds of the tournament, and you know some pretty distant travel really makes the the money add up. Uh, more than a million dollars apparently was spent on last year's Division Three football championship bracket, but baseball comes in a relatively close second. It is by far the, the second most uh, expensive Division Three championship. And the baseball championship, really geeky Division Three baseball thing here for a second, is going from a two-weekend format to a three-weekend format. So instead of having 
six to eight teams meet at eight different sites for the first weekend, which means you're traveling five or seven teams in each of those and sometimes fairly distant. Instead, you're going to have a four-team bracket the first weekend, and the winners meet in a super regional format. If you follow the Division I baseball in the College World Series, it's going to be basically just like that. This will actually save money, and I mentioned to Coach Catanzaro that he should try to leverage that because not only do we all know that, but the liaison for the NCAA, who's the NCAA person who's in charge of this championship, is J.P. Williams, who's also the liaison for Division Three baseball. He should know that there's going to be a little extra money left over in the championship budget this year, and it should come maybe to football. And I'm sure we're going to have a conversation with J.P. about that. Uh, we see him in Shenandoah, Texas uh, for the Stag Bowl to see how it does actually play out in reality. But it's a good point. Uh, money is what really dictates this whole situation for D3 across all sports, especially football, because as you said, a flight for football costs more than a flight for any other sport because of the number of personnel and players you're sending there. It's over 60 uh, per flight in each direction. And, you know, if they can squeeze out one more flight at the end of the day from that kind of money, I, I think it's a big benefit. Uh, to the division. It, it, that could be the difference between Mary Harden-Baylor and Harden-Simmons playing in the first round versus them not doing so because they can stretch it out a little bit longer before they'd have to have a rematch, uh, basically. That's the matchup that we're, we're fearful we're going to have to see because of certain things that are playing out, especially uh, with uh, Western teams uh, having you know the, the seasons that are happening out there, uh, some, some surprises uh, this year a little bit. Uh, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, hopefully they don't have to uh, meet up in the first round. We'll see what happens. Uh, that assumes, of course, that, uh, you know, Harden-Simmons is a pool C selection ultimately because uh, it looks like right now Mary Harden-Baylor is uh, going to be the ASC champ unless something really, really strange happens here. One more thing before we uh, go to the break, and then we put Frank on the spot literally for the entire rest of the podcast. But uh, <laughs> in 2011, I wrote a piece on D3Football.com that basically said eight and two teams have no shot of getting an at-large bid into the NCAA playoffs after a, a frustrating couple of seasons where some really strong teams that happened to have two losses uh, were left out. So that changed in 2011 and in years following. And the part where uh, Coach Catanzaro talks about where he thinks the committee is sending a clear signal about what coaches should do to try to schedule their teams for the playoffs, that's still relatively new. Prior to that, the committee was inconsistent as to whether it favored a strong record and a weak schedule or a team with a strong schedule and an extra loss. And not only were they inconsistent about it, Frank, they didn't really communicate it very well either. And I say this because you've been on the receiving end of a lot of those communications. Yeah, and I, I I don't know how it plays out in a five-team at-large scenario. I think back in 2011, we were looking more at a six or seven scenario, and that that makes a difference because they don't have necessarily as many to you know to go and skip over something in one teams, nine to one or eight one teams. To hear that they are going to try to you know look at legitimate scenarios like that is good to hear. It's just a question of will there be those legitimate scenarios this year with the five-team setup that exists? Frank, you didn't bring a sponsor with you for this podcast by chance, did you? Uh, <laughs> besides myself. <laughs> what, would, you, would you like me to put uh, $10 in a till or something and uh, give a shout-out to somebody? Uh, I guess I'd like to take this time then to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by Nobody. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers in Division Three football, coaches who need new equipment, who could 
influence decisions to replace turf, uh, who could influence decisions to take their football team and travel to play another good team next September. Those are all things, big money decisions that are made by people who listen to the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Frank and I would be waxing poetic about your product right here before we went to break. So think about it and drop me an email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. Now on the d3football.com Around the Nation podcast, I'm joined by Jason LeBeau, the first-year head coach at Western New England University, who uh, spent uh, his playing career and his assistant coaching career under former head coach Keith Emery. Uh, coach, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This is, uh, you know, you're more than halfway through your first season as head coach, took over the job in May, and uh, have this team off to a 6-1 and one start. What has been the, the biggest thing that you've had to adjust to or learn or whatever in having spent years as a, an assistant coach and now being a head coach? Well, I think there's a lot. I mean, I, I'm learning something new every day. Uh, there's definitely been a, a you know a, a transition period going where you, you're only worrying about one side of the ball every single day and trying to get that side better. And and now you got to focus on an entire team. And we've got a pretty large team here, and and worrying about their best interests every day and, and and trying to make the entire team better. Just that alone is is a is a very different experience. Yeah, what's it like managing not just you know the program and you know the assistants and all of the you know, logistical stuff, but then also a hundred and however many some student athletes. Sure. I mean, it has its challenges. Uh, I mean, I love, love coming to work every day. I will never complain about it. I love everything that I do, but it's definitely, uh, definitely takes some work. Uh, you got to definitely got to be organized. And, you know, we're, I'm really lucky. We got a really good group here, good group of players, great staff uh, that makes it a lot easier. That's for sure. Yeah, you took over the role in May, and as I was kind of looking back through, you know, comparing, for example, last year's uh, assistant coaches to this year's assistant coaches, I see that you had the opportunity to bring in some new people. There was some changeover, so some of these guys are people you coached with, and some of these guys are people who are now, you know, working for you and have been brought in under you, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Alex Bresner, our defensive coordinator, returned, which is great for, for us in our program. And uh, then I, I got a chance to hire uh, my former position and kind of went back, as you mentioned, and hired somebody that we had here before and Max Beal, who uh, was our online coach a, a few years back. So able to bring him back. And and then just like every year, you always got some different young guys you got to replace. So we, we had to bring in some some new young young guys on staff, but uh, really come together really well. Uh, got We get we get along well. We work really well together. So that stuff's been, been really good what have you had the opportunity to do or how do you uh kind of put your stamp on this program as the head coach after having been part of it for so long well, again, being really fortunate to take over a program that that was in a really good spot and in a really good position, uh, we've got a great you know culture already here, uh, and I'll, I was fortunate to also be a part of that whole growing process. So, you know, definitely trying to just be me every single day and 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 get our guys to even you know get to know me even more and and what my expectations are and the way thing I want to do things. But uh, again, be, you know, we were able to keep things pretty consistent uh, where I already had strong beliefs and that we were doing things the right way already so just trying to continue that trying to bring you know maybe some different ideas some different energy levels and different things every day that i that i think has has been beneficial in some areas yeah i suppose that as much as you know an assistant coach especially a coordinator probably thinks you know fairly often about what they might do when they are a head coach at some point you know i don't think that 
Keith Emery's uh, departure was necessarily foretold, right? It seemed relatively uh, sudden. He'd been there for 13 years, but, you know, things were successful and I didn't get the impression that he was looking to move on. So I'm not sure how much you thought that you might be in this position here in 2018. No, no, it all came, it all came pretty quick. Everything's moved really quick up until this point. I mean, um, you know, I, I think everybody always tries to, to plan and think ahead of things that you want to do, but, uh, it's not real till it happens. And then when it happens, you know, you're trying to trying to figure things out on, on the fly a little bit. And, and everything definitely did happen really quick here. Uh, so just trying to adapt and, and find my way to do things the way I believe in. And, uh, but no, it was definitely, everything was, everything was quick and, um, Definitely a surprise. I don't think, you know, six months ago, I definitely thought I'd be, be in the seat. So uh, a lot's definitely changed. People talk about East Region football as kind of a subset of Division Three football. And I think that that part of the country probably has a similar reputation in Division Two. But then, you know, within the East Region, then New England is kind of looked at as a different subset, too. Right. You've got New Jersey and you've got New York slash upstate New York. And then, you know, New England is a whole different animal as well. So tell us a little bit about what uh, Division Three football is like in New England. Well, there's a, there's a lot of schools. There's a lot of football schools. There's a, so it's really, really competitive for, for recruiting. And, uh, you know, everybody's recruiting the, basically the a similar pool of kids. And uh, so when, when you're competing on Saturdays, you, you, you recognize a lot of people across from you. Um, but there's a lot of people that are doing things differently and uh, different leagues that have, you know, different resources and different things. So uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's, and especially this year, I think the parity is a lot more. There's a lot more good football teams. It's spread out pretty well. Uh, where I think that's why when, you know, the rest of the country looks at it, just because there's so many teams, uh, you know, recruiting the same people that maybe, uh, you know, might not be as strong as, as some of the other areas. But uh, I think it's just it makes it from my point of view and being in it, it just makes it all that much more competitive. You guys must get to know your your area rivals really well, right? You guys play Springfield yeah. uh, for a uh, for a um for a trophy at the beginning of the year, you guys play Westfield state. And that is basically other than like Amherst and Williams who play off in the NESCAC and don't play anybody else. That's kind of what, that's what uh, your local area is all about. Those three, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those are definitely big local rivalry games. The, the pinch and saw game against Springfield has, has become something pretty special. It's new. It's not as old as some of the older rivalry games, like the, like the NESCAC games and things like that. But uh, it definitely has, has built its own tradition these last few years. It's huge, obviously in the recruiting footprint. And then, you know, in Western mass football, you know, the, that game, and then, and obviously the game against Westfield, which is a little bit older of a tradition. Those are definitely games that are circled on the calendar in the local football community. As things go forward and then you take over some of the scheduling decisions, you think about how you might, you know, try to expose yourself to different teams or, you know, take some of those games where you have availability and go schedule someone somewhere else in the East region or somewhere else in a different part of the country. Yeah, no. Yeah. We've, we've always been pretty aggressive with, with scheduling, uh, you know, trying to find ways in our out of conference schedule to schedule really strong opponents. Uh, you know, obviously we've played, we played Huston these last couple of years, which has been a big one. Now they come into our league. So we will have the ability to uh, try to play some new teams, uh, play some teams that are, are also competitive in the region or maybe outside the region, like you mentioned. So I think it's definitely something that we want to continually see, do get some different experiences, playing different programs, going to different areas. I think that's definitely something something we want to do what are the things that are working well for you guys this year talk about some of the things that uh, you know have been successful on the field for western new england well, we play hard. Our guys, uh, football is important to them. Saturdays are a big deal to them. Uh, we've, we've just been 
playing hard every single week, which has improved our game. Uh, you know, obviously losing the, the first game uh, has, has gotten us very, very hungry uh, every single week and, and putting the importance of being 1-0 that week. And uh, we've just continuously gotten better. Our guys have been hungry each week to find ways to improve their game. And I think it's happened uh, each and every single week. And we're trying to harp on that as we get here to the, to the last stretch. And I know the big showdown with Endicott is not this week, right? It's a it's a week down the road, and, and maybe you know, as a as a coach, you don't want to be talking about that necessarily. But that uh, as a game at the end of the schedule has to loom pretty large for you guys. Yeah, I mean, every single conference game is big for us. Uh, we want to win every single Commonwealth Coast Conference game that we can. Uh, obviously, all our thoughts are right now on Nichols uh, this week and, and playing at their place on a road game. Uh, and then next week, we'll focus on that. Uh, and, and obviously, there's there's been a lot of buzz. they got a really good football team. They're having a great season uh, up there. Uh, so we're excited for every opportunity that we do have. Who are the players on the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball that you think people should know about on your team? Uh, well, I mean, I think when everybody looks at a team, they look at the quarterback position uh, or we've had some strong quarterback play this year. Uh, you, know, I, you know, we graduated our quarterback last year and now uh, Alec Coleman's had a, had a really strong year for us and, and keeps getting better with every opportunity. Uh, Brendan Smith, who's been the second quarterback, who's played a bit and won us the Husson game, has, has played well every time he's been in there. Uh, we've been very solid on the offensive line with uh, guys like Evan Co-Francisco, who's our left tackle, who's having an awesome senior season. Uh, but we've got some speed and some playmaking ability on the edge with uh, guys like uh, Adam Raza and, and Steven Fedorchik and, and Byron Jones, who are having really nice seasons. So we can be pretty explosive at times uh, and tough to defend. Uh, and defensively, uh, we've played really well from top to bottom. Uh, you know, Curtis Jollikers, our, our, our strong side outside backer, he's you know, probably one of the best guys at his position, at least in this region, I, I would think. I uh, think really highly of him and the way he's played this year. Uh, we've got we've been strong in the defensive backfield. Uh, Tommy Ganley's got six interceptions on the year and having a really good senior year himself. Um, Sean Sturgis is a defensive tackle for us. I think he got a game plan for it uh, as a force on the inside. And uh, just got a lot of guys on that side of the ball making plays. You look at the stats, it's a little bit more spread out for us. Um, but that's just because we got a lot of guys that are making, you know, making their impressions on, on Saturdays. One of the things that we always go ask coaches at the end of the season when we're putting together our uh, our all region team and our all American team is to ask about who are the defensive backs that, you know, coaches are avoiding throwing away from so that they don't get, you know, the big stats that you look for in a in a corner or a defensive back. But uh, it doesn't look like we have that problem with Tommy Ganley. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think it helps him that uh, the guy on the other side is very good. Uh, Zaire House was a uh, freshman of the year last year, defensive freshman of the year, rookie of the year in our conference. And, uh, you know, at times I think people are avoiding him and it's allowing Tommy to make more plays, uh, which is great for him. Uh, so it's just like anything else. You, you, you know, just having one good one isn't sometimes good enough. And we've got two good ones that are having uh, having good seasons that uh, hopefully can you know continue uh, as we as we make this final run. Frank, a bit of a tough start at the beginning of the season for Western New England, but they've been clicking ever since. Yeah, I, you know, I was uh, sitting down having uh, lunch today, actually, with Jake Eglantine and Jordan Wilcox, formerly of uh, Springfield College. And Jake had watched uh, live with me uh, the first game that they played against Springfield for the uh, Pinch and Saw game. And uh, we were saying, boy, they just didn't look Western New England-like in that game because we've appreciated their success over the last couple of years. And my response to Jake, too, when we were talking about this was essentially, look, Coach Emery left very late in the game in terms of the offseason. This was a surprise, it seemed like, to a lot of people. 
Uh, Coach LeBeau had to go in quickly and sort of, I, I wouldn't call it damage control, but, you know, put his own seal of, you know, what he wanted to see in this team on very late in the game. Uh, Anthony Service obviously graduated, so uh, change a quarterback is never easy when you have a, a new head coach come in or, you know, or elevate in this case. And I, I think it just was a, a team that was questioning themselves at that point still about what they really had under the hood. Now, ever since that Springfield game, they seem to have collected their confidence together. You got to credit Coach LeBeau for that because uh, he had to hold it together after a loss that early, and it wasn't a pretty game for them. He got them to believe in themselves. And look, you know, put up 70 against anybody. I, I don't care if it's a first-year program or not. Uh, it's an incredible feat, especially for a New England team. You don't see those kinds of scores in New England football. So, you know, kudos to him. They've got Endicott down the line here, and that's going to be a big Week 10 game. Uh, Nichols is uh, looking better, too, this year in Week 9. So they've got an interesting road coming up ahead here where they're going to really prove if uh, they're going to repeat as CCC champions or, you know, have a good season but just not be at that point right now. I do care if it's a first-year program, just for what it's worth. I hear you. Tell them I can hear. Tell them I can hear this. We are up to our six games to watch. Frank is already a contributor to six games to watch, and we're going to ask him to uh, fill in on Keith's games to watch as well. But I'm going to stall for time for him here by uh, starting with one of my games to watch on Saturday, and that is Wabash at number 11, Wittenberg. Little Giants make the trip to Springfield, Ohio on Saturday, and Wabash is still looking to find a way to score points against quality opponents. Against UW-Stevens Point, Denison, and Ohio Wesleyan, the Little Giants have averaged just 11 points, and those teams aren't ranked nearly as highly as Wittenberg is. The Tigers, on the other hand, have had no trouble scoring points, although they did famously allow 66 to Denison in quadruple overtime a few weeks back. Hiram had a couple of late touchdowns to lift their score from 14 to 28 a couple weeks ago, and DePaul's second touchdown of the game last week came in the fourth quarter to make a 38-23 final. Jake Kennedy is in his final year as a starter for Wittenberg and has 19 touchdowns to two interceptions, while Jake Reed is in his first year as a starter for Wabash and has thrown 11 touchdowns and been picked off five times. Now we're going to send it out to Adam Turr. The week's only matchup of ranked teams will likely determine the winner of the Centennial Conference's Pool A playoff berth. When Johns Hopkins lost its Centennial Conference opener in Week 2, it sent waves throughout the conference and the nation. It was just the Blue Jays' second conference loss of the past eight seasons. The league was wide open for the taking. Since that 37-35 loss to Susquehanna, the Blue Jays have stomped their conference foes by a tune of 254-49. That path of dominance all leads to this, a de facto conference championship tilt against undefeated Muhlenberg. The Mules squeaked past Susquehanna in overtime the week after the Riverhawks upset the Blue Jays. Since then, Muhlenberg has been similarly crushing centennial competition. While the rest of the conference was on a bye week on October 13th, the Mules traveled to Kentucky and defeated Thomas Moore on a last-second field goal in one of the season's most thrilling games. This is everything first-year head coach Nate Milne wanted for his squad, an opportunity to dig in and unseat Johns Hopkins. The matchup also pits two of the top quarterbacks in the country. The 23rd-ranked Blue Jays are led by junior quarterback David Tomorrow. He has thrown multiple touchdown passes in every game this season and ranks fifth in the nation in passing yards per game with 315.7. Muhlenberg sophomore Michael Natkowski is not far behind with 18 touchdowns to Tomorrow's 20. Natkowski averages 268.9 yards per game, 
This showdown could be a shootout. The pressure will be on the Mules' defense to try and slow the second most prolific offense in Division Three. This will also be a monumental mental test. The Blue Jays know what it takes to win big conference games and have the postseason experience the Muhlenberg players lack. The Mules have not made the playoffs since 2014, but even then it was, a, it was as a Pool C team, runners-up to Centennial champion Johns Hopkins. This could be a turning point or a return to the status quo. Pat and Keith, back to you. Yeah, as you can tell, we didn't tell Adam that uh, Frank was going to be guest hosting. Frank, what do you got? I've got Illinois Wesleyan and Milliken uh, at Milliken, and I, I can see why Keith picked this game. Uh, it's kind of one of those games that was maybe undersold because a lot of folks are looking forward to the following week's game for Illinois Wesleyan against North Central. But Milliken sits at 5-1 and one in the conference as well in the CCIW with Illinois Wesleyan obviously at 6-0. and oh. This is not a team to look past, though, Pat, because obviously Illinois Wesleyan, uh, you know, they need to win this game. Uh, if they lose the game to Milliken, it could really shake up the standings for CCIW. And even the national uh, voters out there aren't giving the credit maybe that's due to Milliken right now. They're only giving one point in our top 25 poll, uh, whereas, uh, you know, Illinois Wesleyan is at 15 and uh, 268 points. That one loss it, it could be a difference maker, obviously, as uh, Milliken's had an interesting season. Uh, the loss to Wheaton was 63-6, to six, obviously. That's not going to help their standings in a poll. But since then, they've reeled off victories, some closer than others, with a one-point win against Augustana, a one-point win last week at Elmhurst. You look at the statistics for these uh, teams, and uh, Nico Stepina for Milliken as quarterback has 20 touchdowns against just five interceptions. And Brandon Bauer for Illinois Wesleyan with 14 touchdowns against eight interceptions. Maybe the quality of teams that have been played so far doesn't uh, match up fully. I, I, I don't know exactly why Milliken's not getting the level of respect that they probably probably deserve. But one team that needs to respect them this week is Illinois Wesleyan. If they want that game against North Central to be essentially a CCIW championship game de facto. I think the 63-6 to six is a determining factor there. I really like Nico Stepina. He's good in the pocket. He can uh, he can run the ball as well. Bauer, of course, ran for three touchdowns on Saturday against Wash U. Now we're going to send it out to Frank, uh, who was previously recorded. From In the Huddle on D3Football.com, I'm Frank Rossi. I've been asked to preview this weekend's key NJAC matchup between undefeated Salisbury and upstart Roan in less than seven and a half minutes. Challenge accepted. Anyone who's used to watching the Seagulls play football knows that they're a run-first team with their triple-option offense, but in prior years, they've mixed in the pass more often than their 2018 team is doing. In 2017, they averaged about 10 pass attempts per game, but this year, they're averaging less than five attempts with sophomore quarterback Jack Nowitzki at the helm. Their more one-dimensional nature might explain some of the problems Salisbury has had creating separation in a three-point overtime win against Christopher Newport in a two-point victory against Montclair State in which the Seagulls failed to score after the first quarter. While their offense has averaged 371 rushing yards per game, Salisbury has still not played Rowan, Wesley, and Frostburg State. The first major test will be at Rowan Saturday, a team fresh off a 28-27 homecoming victory over formerly number 8 Wesley. To win that game, the Profs scored two plays after an interception in the middle of the third quarter and put up defensive stand after defensive stand for the remainder of the game. 
Rowan's struggles this season, though, have been from an inconsistency on offense, posting just seven points in a loss to Frostburg State and six points in a loss to Christopher Newport. The key question for the game becomes whether or not Rowan can muster enough offense to complement the defense's level of success in stopping Salisbury's run game. It will take a complete effort for the Profs to pull a second straight upset. Rowan head coach Jay Corsi told In the Huddle this week that even his defense faces a challenge now that Southern Virginia has changed their base offense away from the same option-type offense Salisbury runs, making Saturday's game the Profs' first chance to defend against it. This is a game with national implications as many view a potential one-loss NJAC runner-up as a team in a prime position to be awarded a Pool C bid. If Salisbury trips up at Rowan, it could open up an at-large playoff slot if Frostburg also beats Salisbury in Week 11. First things first, the Seagulls and Profs will face off at 1 p.m. Eastern Time in a game that could see low scores and potential for rain, especially in the early going. Back to our resident geography majors, Pat and Keith. I make no apologies. Geography is a must in Division Three bracketing, and Frank, you'll remember that from the year that I basically paired up the entire mock field on In the Huddle in one long stream of consciousness. So, yeah, less than seven, half, seven and a half minutes. I appreciate that. It might still be the longest game preview we've had here this season, but then again, I have to be appreciative because uh, you're here on the podcast. That's very helpful. I'll take one more uh, game here before we come back to uh, your other game. And uh, back at the beginning of the season, it was feasible that you could consider Eureka as a challenger for the conference title in the NAC. But I would have been very surprised to see anybody put Concordia, Wisconsin in that category. The Falcons won two games last year and just three games the year before. But this season has been even more upside down in that conference than we projected. Getting Aaron Nixon back a quarterback after a medical hardship season has been a huge boost for CUW, and his combination of 19 touchdown passes and team-high 68 rushing yards a game has helped the team get off to a 6-1 and start. Both CUW and Eureka are unbeaten in the conference, and we know about Lee Anthony Reasonover, right? This is a workhorse running back, and he has hardly missed a beat in his transition from the UMAC to the NAC. He leads the conference in rushing by more than 100 yards, 190-some yards a game. Red Devils hold the ball on average, for more than 34 minutes a game, and doing that on Saturday will help Eureka take over sole possession of first place in that conference. All right, Keith, I mean Frank, back to you. You know what? I'm going to take Birmingham Southern at number 13, Barry. That's a good choice. I applaud your choice. So last week, uh, you know, a possible pool C candidate was cleared off the decks when Rowan knocked off Wesley and uh, center. Uh, who's at six and one trails eight and zero Barry and is a solid pool C candidate, but it's technically alive in pool A. Uh, Barry though eight and zero and ranked thirteenth nationally, they're uh, not guaranteed to cruise into the clubhouse unblemished. The SAA is surprisingly deep this season, Pat, evidenced by the fact that I, I can't remember us mentioning Barry's Saturday opponent at all this year, or you guys for that matter. I, uh, you know. Uh, Birmingham Southern is five and two uh, with four games uh, decided by one score and a fifth. That was a one score game within the final five minutes. They've uh, also yet to play at Barry at Millsaps and versus center. Uh, you know, this is one of those games that uh, I think poll watchers again, watch because uh, they're wondering can Barry go higher than the 13th, a sound victory against a team like Birmingham Southern could do that. You know, just two losses uh, for Birmingham Southern this uh, season, and they were in the earlier part of the season uh, in in consecutive order. So we'll see what happens with this one. But this one could be a real challenge for Barry. They can't overlook Birmingham Southern. Those are our big six games. Now it's time for On the Spot. 
<laughs> here we go. Like I haven't been already. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I know. So uh, here's the deal, right? I, I, uh, for I know you know how this goes for first time listeners of the podcast. Basically, uh, when it's Keith, Keith and I each pick a question for each other to kind of put each other on the spot for uh, the week's games. Now, in all honesty, I won the toss last week and I chose to go first. Technically, it is your turn to go first, but I would be glad to let you defer as a guest and let me throw something at you first. Go ahead. Uh, throw something at me and be ready to edit the heck out of this thing. The game is called Autocorrect. Frank, I picked six games wrong last week, and I'd like you to take of those teams that I picked incorrectly last week and correct it by picking their games this week. You can pick those six teams to win or lose, but what you have to do is you read off your pick as if autocorrect had garbled the text. And I'm blaming Google. So, let's say, hypothetically, you were picking Widener over Alvernia. You might choose to say Widened over Algeria. Got it? <laughs> and I have in here in the rundown is the list of the six teams, if that's helpful to you. <laughs> It's easy. You have six games that you have to pick. The game involving Central, Platteville, Adrian, Shenandoah, Wesley, and WPI. And all you have to do is pick a winner in that game, and you have to read it off as if it were autocorrected. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I don't want to get it, but I get it. Uh, let's see. Uh, first, though, Whoopi is going to beat Mike. Okay. Uh, Whoopi uh, is going to beat Mike. That's WPI over MIT. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah, uh, let's see. I'm going to say Whitley's going to beat uh, Minty State. All right. I would have affixed. All right. I would have accepted Weasley also, but that's good. Wesley over Montclair State. I, I really couldn't call him that. Anything that was coming to mind. So I bailed out on that. Sorry. I will say Shenandoah, which is a uh, local upstate New York school district, by the way. So it does exist in reality. But right. Shenandoah uh, is going to beat Bridewater. Fair. I like that. Okay. This one's pretty easy. Uh, Alien's going to beat Finland. That sounds about right. Okay. And wow. Tough game to pick, actually. The next one. Uh, I'll say... UW La Criss Cross. I will beat uh, UW Plateville. Plateville is definitely where I thought that was going. I had not expected Criss Cross. And uh, I think that we see a bounce back by. Um, I mean, maybe this is one that autocorrect wouldn't garble. Uh, well, I, I think we're going to see a comeback by Entrail beating Code. Entrail. I like that. Okay. That was unexpected. All <laughs> That's right. That's why it's on the spot. And that is Central over Co. All right. Uh, congratulations. You have successfully uh, survived on the spot. It did not take you seven and a half minutes to do so. Yes, that is the new standard. Everybody has to be under seven and a half minutes. What you got for me? I want you to take the last six teams in the others receiving votes and pick their games since we're going six so i'll go six also uh and basically in making the decisions make the noise their mascot would make as you're making the prediction uh, of the winner and the loser you kept that huh you're gonna you're gonna, you're gonna i stick absolutely to that. Did. absolutely all right so let's see 
What what do you expect that uh, the big blue sounds like for Milliken? I'm not sure you've thought this out, sir. <laughs> okay, so I I'm going to say the big blue obviously has to be a computer from IBM. So I'm going to say Illinois Wesleyan defeats Milliken. Then we've got Kalamazoo at Olivet. Oh, but Olivet is the Comets, and I picked Olivet to win. So I don't know what a Comet is supposed to sound like. A Comet is out in space. Um, but I'm going to talk about, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to interpret what that means because a, a comet's not going to make any noise. This is not deep impact, sir. A bantam. Oh, no, sorry. Cortland, the Red Dragons. All right, good. So what do we got? I know we've got Cortland playing uh, St. John Fisher this week, right? So I've got, mm -hmm. hmm, I, have my, I have not worked on my smog in a long time. So we've got Hey, man, I am nothing if not willing to play along, you know. God bless you, man. Anything for the bit. Um, the Bantams. Unless I think Mid Middlebury's going to win, but I, I suspect I think Trinity's going to beat Middlebury. So I've got to, I have to cluck, huh? This is, I only know that Bantams cluck because of uh, Gordon Mann, by the way. So Trinity over Middlebury. Hey, man. One, two, three, four. How many Keith, more of these did Marietta? You owe me so much, Keith. <laughs> you owe me so much for this. <laughs> uh, Marietta plays Baldwin-Wallace. Marietta hosts Baldwin-Wallace, right? This is probably important and helpful. Marietta hosts Baldwin-Wallace. So I either have to make a Spartan noise or a Yellow Jacket noise. I think I'm going to pick Marietta. So I'm going to say, I am Marietta. You know, that's an I am Spartacus reference, if you don't get that. Yeah, I, I got that. Yeah. Uh, Cory Booker is impressed. Keep going. <laughs> uh, of the bottom six, so uh, is that Randolph-Macon or Ithaca? They're tied for six from last. You have not thought this out at all. Well, you know what? Uh, I, I will give you the Randolph-Macon game in honor of Keith not being here. All right. Fair enough. Uh, 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 the nice part is I get to make the same noise no matter what. Bzz, I definitely pick Randolph Meekin over Emery and Henry. There's no Z's in either of these names. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't help. Well, well done. I, I can only wait to see how your, yours and my results uh, turn out on this one. I also can't wait to hear the reaction from Keith when uh, when we hear back. Of course, that was on the spot. We have to do spot check. That is scoring last week's on the spot. As we mentioned, uh, Keith told me to pick as many games as I wanted. Fatal mistake. I picked 25 games, 19 of them correctly, going from west to east across the country. And in case you missed it about uh, five minutes ago, I missed on Central, UW-Platteville, Adrian, Shenandoah, Wesley, and WPI. And by the way, as I was looking through the map, I realized that uh, Adrian is not actually east of Ohio Northern. So a little bit of a miss on that as well. I thought Ohio Northern was a little bit further west. Keith picked the Wildcats of Linfield to beat the Bruins of George Fox. Remember, we were picking a, uh, a mascot that would punch up in weight class, right? And he punched up the headline by saying, Wildcats scratch and claw their way to win against George Fox. Hey, is that the uh, roulette wheel there? It is. It's time for our random game. We have a, a random number generator set up to pick 1 through 115, and our number this week is 79. And the forces of randomness have landed us on Howard Payne at Texas Lutheran. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with this, not only do we have to talk about this game now for a couple of minutes, we also have to pick a rivalry trophy for it. 
uh, Howard Payne and Texas Lutheran out of the American Southwest Conference. And of course, you know, Texas Lutheran coached by uh, Carl Gustafson. Howard Payne is coached by Braxton Harris. Braxton Harris was a, a, an assistant at Texas Lutheran and was the co-defensive coordinator for taking this job before taking this job at Howard Payne. So I'm thinking we're going to call this like the Braxton Harris Cup or something like that. Sound good? Not bad. I, I was thinking maybe the Frank Rossi cameo trophy at this point, but I, I like yours better. <laughs> well, we could call it either of those. Uh, it works fine. I, I you have to we have to then come up with a trophy and send it to what I am expecting is going to be Seguin, Texas, because uh, Texas Lutheran has had a, a pretty good season so far. They come in at five and two. You know, they got uh, their doors blown off by Mary Harden Baylor and by Harden Simmons. But uh, that doesn't uh, preclude someone from being a fairly decent team. And with uh, Howard Payne, Sol Ross and Southwestern to end the season, a really good shot of at least finishing seven and three and a good shot of finishing eight and two. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that. I, I think the only danger here for Texas Lutheran is uh, having the hangover after that 58 to 14 loss against Harden Simmons. Uh, otherwise, it just hasn't been that good of a season for Howard Payne. I remember watching some of that Mary Harden Baylor game. They just had no kick to them uh, in that game. And then a loss by one point to Sol Ross State, who has their own share of troubles, it seems like this season. I I just don't see it in the cards for Howard Payne to pull this out. But hey, yeah, maybe they can punch him early and you know force a uh, catch-up situation that doesn't materialize. But right now, I would say TLU has this one. Howard Payne still trying to rebuild itself. Remember, once upon a time, this was a program that finished nine and one, finished on the uh, verge of making the playoffs back in 2002 with uh, Adam King, the uh, quarterback. I'm pulling everything I got on uh, Howard Payne to throw in to this preview. Uh, but it's uh, not this year for Howard Payne, maybe next year or the year after. <laughs> now we're up to the one-liners, and uh, what I usually do is I rattle off these six games, and then uh, Keith comes back and responds with uh, six one-line responses. You ready to do this? Slowly but surely, yes, I am. <laughs> All right. I can sense that the uh, editing uh, function is going to be... Uh, is going to be required here too. Our, our six one-liner games for this week are Harden Simmons at Southwestern, St. John's and Concordia Moorhead, Montclair State at Wesley, Pacific Lutheran at Linfield, Misericordia at Kings, and Baldwin Wallace at Marietta. And we have a couple of East Region games in there for you at least. Hey, I, I appreciate that. Uh, Harden Simmons at Southwestern. Honestly, Harden Simmons knows what's at stake here. They can't lose a game if they want to be a pool C contender in all reality. As long as St. John's doesn't uh, start looking too far ahead in their schedule, Concordia Moorhead, I don't think, has a real good chance in this game with the season that they're having. Wesley never loses two in a row. I don't think they do it this week. Linfield's bouncing back, it seems like, after early troubles, so they have this one in hand against uh, Pac Lute. Misericordia, look, don't bet against them. That's all I can say with them after what they pulled last week and multiple times. I think Marietta has a hangover uh, a little bit from what happened against John Carroll. I give this one to Baldwin Wallace. And we're into the home stretch here, although pick six is waiting for Frank. He's got to answer as quickly as possible. Coming up in just a moment, but before we do that, of course, we have to keep score of quick hits, and quick hits is our weekly Friday look at the upcoming set of games with six people giving answers to six questions in an attempt to give you some, you know, 36 opinions. Our guest this week was Logan Hansen. His Hansen ratings formula and results have been referenced here on the pod and in kickoff previously, and it was a good week for Game of the Week. Keith picked UW Lacrosse at UW Oshkosh, which was a pretty good game for starters. 
Four of the crew picked Illinois Wesleyan at Wash U, and uh, IWU held on to win when Johnny Davidson's last second pass sailed out the back of the end zone incomplete. The champ of this category also could be Frank, however. His pick of RPI Hobart saw RPI holding on by covering an onside kick with just over a minute left. Woo! When asked which top 25 team would most likely be upset, nobody correctly picked Wesley or W&J. In picking a team which would see its unbeaten run end, three of our group picked Marietta, although they had to sweat out the fourth quarter against John Carroll. I picked Kalamazoo and did not convert as Kazu. <laughs> is now 7-0. Western Connecticut needed four overtimes to prove Frank wrong, but Wartburg made Logan look good by making Central look bad in a 47-20 loss. Although I'm only inclined to give him about half credit because he was picking his alma mater to win. Fair. I think so. Everyone safely picked a team which could focus on its big game in Week 9. None of them got trapped in Week 8. And Frank was the only one who didn't pick Eagles to carry the day versus the Cardinals as Brockport and Husson won for the Eagles side, but the Redbirds only had their win from North Central to counter. I appreciate you repping the East as hard as you can and taking St. John Fisher over Cortland, I guess, to try to get that push, Frank. Yeah, I figure St. John Fisher's got to win again before the end of the season, so why not put it there? Certainly possible. You can see this week's quick hits on the website on a Friday afternoon. All right, we're up to pick six, and we usually uh, throw these uh, right at Keith, our resident defensive back, who picks a winner and nothing else. I try to start with easy games and then range up to hard ones, and all you have to do is uh, I list the teams playing, and you just give me the winner. Got it? Let's do it. All right, Mountain Union at Ohio Northern. <laughs> okay, you really are starting easy. Uh, Mount Union. Uh, it's uh, Carroll at Wheaton. Wheaton. St. John Fisher at Cortland. Red Dragons. Uh, William Patterson at TCNJ. Patterson. Uh, Catholic at Norwich. Catholic. And Muhlenberg at Johns Hopkins. Oof. It's the Mules year. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 217, season 12, episode 17, released on October 26, 2018. Thanks for listening, and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the weekend. If you like this podcast, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or, or Spotify, or any place you get podcasts, because that will help other football fans find it. It'll help our ratings, and it'll make Frank and I, and, you know, Keith and I, presumably, and that'll help us all be happy. You can also leave comments on the blog page. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Thanks to our correspondents, Adam Turr and Frank Rossi, plus guests Jason LeBeau and SID Wes Popolizio for their time and assistance on this edition of our show. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com, Keith McMillan. And special thanks to my co-host, Frank Rossi, for filling in on a moment's notice. woo I'll insert the applause in post, I'm sure. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. Frank is at Rossi F. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering a post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. I think I'm at Frank Rossi, to be honest with you. But either way, I I'm sure they can find me on Twitter. I'll tell you, this week I just can't wait to listen to this podcast at the 1.5 times speed I normally listen at because I hate listening to myself. Uh, I hate when people listen to our podcast at 1.5 speed. You can tell I've probably done this a few times and you've probably listened to me when I'm talking really fast. The thing I'm most concerned about is 
Keith's reaction to having a uh, <laughs> to having an, uh, a last second substitute co-host. Yeah, but he foreshadowed this earlier in the day. He, he I asked a question. He's like, what, do you want to do this podcast? I'm like, no, no, I love to help, but no, that's okay. And then suddenly at one in the morning Eastern time, uh, you asked me to. So, hey, Keith, I guess you meant it. Thank you, Thank you so much, everybody.